Welcome to Hello Inspiration Podcast, a place where people inspire each other to a higher potential. From sustainability, innovation, entrepreneurship, to health and wellness topics, we share our experiences and overcome challenges. Honest, real, and open stories that inspire. Let me introduce our today's guest. Paul Shapiro is a four-time TEDx speaker, the host of the Business for Good podcast, and the CEO of the Better Meat Co., and a longtime leader in food sustainability. When I was reading your books, uh, I really thought that you are now like a pioneer of uh, cultivated meat or lab-grown meat in nowadays. So... I'm always very interested into the stories of, uh, you know, such people. So maybe you can uh, tell me more about the story, how uh, this even came to your life. Sure. So I have always been extremely concerned about animals and have been very uh, worried about how we treat them. And so I, for a long time, believed that if we just showed people what was happening to animals that that would be sufficient and that people would change and that people would recognize the error of our ways and they would change. Unfortunately, that's a pretty naive view, one that I held for too long. And so then I started thinking, well, you know, we just need to pass laws to prohibit these horrible forms of animal abuse. And I still think that. I think that's a great idea to do. At the same time, it became very clear to me that passing laws might make these animals' lives less bad. But if we wanted to actually free these animals from the factory farms and so on, that we were going to have to invent technologies that rendered their exploitation obsolete. Mm-hmm. And so I knew about cultivated meat and, and obviously plant-based meat, but I, I, they were so ex- cultivated meat, especially was so expensive. I just thought, well, this is like an academic pursuit. But in 2013, when the world's first cultivated burger was debuted in London by Dutch scientist, Mark Post, I all of a sudden thought, well, this could be real. And so I started following the space and then decided that I wanted to write a book about it. And so in uh, 2016, decided that I was going to pitch this book that I would call Clean Meat. And it came out in 2018. And I'm very glad for the impact that it's had. Yeah, that, that, that's totally 100% true. And when I was reading the more, one of the main facts, you know, that I loved is that you don't need to be like a biotechnologist or you don't need, don't need to be, you know, a scientist to understand the book and understand the value and the impact that it really, you know, brings with it. So, and I remember those uh, facts that, for example, for one chicken, you need like 1,000, you know, a single gallon of, of water to produce, you know, one chicken and about, you know, the 50 gallons of water to produce one egg. And, you know, these facts was really, when you start to compare the re- reality with the, with the facts in the book, that was really insane. And that probably was uh, the main thing, what I believe that shocks people and, and gives them the sense of how important it is. And that it's not something in, in uh, 100 years or 200 years, it's really happening right now. Yeah, that's exactly how I, how I felt. And the thing that was really compelling to me when I was researching the book was really what you just said, which is that the people who have started these companies, most of them did not have the technical background. They didn't have millions of dollars of their own money. They didn't have even an entrepreneurial background. Like many of them were just people who really deeply cared and they wanted to help animals or they wanted to save the planet or they wanted to improve public health. And they wanted to find a way to make it happen. 
And so they started their own companies and they attracted the talent that ultimately led to them getting funding and being able to hire the people with the business experience and the people with the scientific experience to help get their companies off the ground. Yeah, for sure. And uh, what I see in the startup world as well, a lot of times the passion, you know, to create something big, to create the product or to create or find a solution is sometimes even stronger than some, you know, technical information or the, or the background. So I'm, I'm really happy that there are a lot of, you know, people or not a lot of, but even there are some people that are really wanted to make this change and have their inner, you know, passion to do that. So that's really uh, the, the, the great thing, you know, for all of us. Yeah, and I would go so far as to not only affirm your point, but to go a little bit further and say, starting companies is very hard. It's a really difficult thing to do. And so if you are going to succeed, having that mission, that passion, that drive to want to try to do something more than just for yourself or for your company, but really for the world, helps to keep you going. You know, I I can assure you, I have for the last four years spent uh, my time running the Better Meat Co., a company that I co-founded four years ago. And I see like uh, why people would stop. It's very hard. It's like a lot of the days you're slamming your head against the wall. And what keeps, yeah, like it'll be so much easier to walk away. But what keeps me going is this innate desire that I have to try to stop the war that we are waging against animals. Like we are waging a war on the rest of the uh, biosphere and I want to stop it. And one of the key ways that we are waging that war is through the factory farming of animals that we're raising and slaughtering billions and billions of animals and treating them in ways that most people don't even want to know about. And it's causing increased uh, climate changing emissions, pandemic risk, wildlife extinction, deforestation, and more. You know, I'm, I, I think sometimes about the saying that um, was said by Ben Horowitz, who's a a famous venture capitalist in the United States. And he said that when you start your own company, you will sleep like a baby because you will wake up every two hours and cry. (laughs) That's that's really great. That's really great. Yeah. And I, I think of that as like a very poignant line because it's true. And so you can see why so many people walk away. It's just a really difficult thing to do. It's a lot easier just to go work at an established company or organization and, and just be a part of the machine. And that's fine. Many people choose that. There's nothing wrong with it. But innovation generally comes out of these startups, not out of these uh, massive entrenched companies. And so you have to have something more than a desire just to make money in order to do this, I think. Yeah, for sure. Because there, even in our, in, in Zanu, there were really a moments when I thought that, no, okay, that's not for me. Okay, that's not, that's, yeah. this is this, I'm, I'm skyrocketing the limit. Uh, but yeah. then basically you come down and you understand that there is a, a passion, there is a mission to do, you know, this, and, and you're not only doing it for your own like profits or something, but you have, you know, the, the inner drive uh, to run the company and to really make it uh, big. So, and, and to help solve the, the, the bigger problems. So definitely, I totally agree with what you're saying. And I will quote mm-hmm. that. I will write down the quote somewhere. Because <laughs> the quote. Um, yeah. Regarding, you know, the, the lab more meat. I know that uh, for a lot of people, when we are uh, with, with Mindogas, my co-founder, talk about lab-grown meat, they think that there's something out of this world, you know, something very difficult. Um, Do you think you can maybe uh, describe the process of lab-grown meat? I know that we can maybe have even a separate podcast about that, but uh, maybe in a a simple way, you know, the main concept uh, behind it. 
Yeah, sure. So if you think about the meat experience, you know, most people, they eat meat, not because animals were slaughtered for it. They eat meat in spite of the fact that animals were slaughtered. It's kind of like light, you know, you walk into a room and you flip on a light switch. You're not thinking about whether the light is coming from coal or oil or from sure. wind or from solar. You just want light. That's it. You want an illuminated room. And when most people eat meat, they're not thinking, ah, oh, I'm so glad animals were slaughtered. They, they just like the experience of meat. They like the way that it makes them the taste, the texture, the way it satiates them and so on. And so if you could create meat without animals, it would have a revolutionary impact because I think a lot of people would be quite happy to eat it in the same way that many people are happy to have light without fossil fuels, lots of people. And so I, I would be thrilled if people just, you know, were wanting to eat plants, if they just wanted to eat lentil soup and hummus and uh, bean and rice burritos, like that's great. Uh, actually, that's how I eat. I think it's a great thing to do. Uh, but people want meat. We can't get around it. And just like I would be thrilled if people wanted to walk and bike more, but people want to drive. So we need to make cars that don't run on fossil fuels. So the problem is that it's not easy to recreate the meat experience without animals. When you go to the plant kingdom, you have to really uh, treat soybeans and peas and wheat in a variety of ways to get them to ultimately look like animals. So the question is, what if instead of going to the plant kingdom, we went to the animal kingdom and we just grew actual animal cells and didn't have to rely merely on plants, but grew actual animal cells into real meat, not a meat alternative, not a meat substitute, but real actual animal meat. And this was an idea that was science fiction for a very long time. Most people just thought of it as something that was uh, kind of a cool idea for Star Trek, but not yeah. necessarily for, you know, for our world until about 20 years ago when the very first uh, scientists in New York state ended up producing some goldfish muscle outside of a goldfish. And it became clear that you can grow meat outside of an animal. You fast forward another decade. And as I mentioned, Mark Post, this Dutch researcher debuted the first hamburger that was grown outside of a cow. And this really was revolutionary. And so you fast forward a couple more years and the very first company, which is now called Upside Foods, is founded to commercialize slaughter-free meat or cultivated meat or sometimes known as clean meat. Yeah. And now there's more than a hundred companies around the world racing to bring to the world's tables real slaughter-free meat. And it's not science fiction. It is science fact. We are growing all types of species of meat from duck to pigs to beef and fish and uh, uh, crustaceans like lobsters and so on. And so there is just a world of, uh, of activity that is now going on to scale this technology. Now, it's not at scale yet. It's not even on sale yet in nearly anywhere in the world except for Singapore, but that will change. And just in the same way that 25 years ago, very few people were taking photos digitally. You know, back then, all the photos we took were from print film and negatives and dark rooms and chemicals, but eventually digital took over. And now 99% of the world's photos are digital, whereas 0% of them 30 years ago were nearly 0%. And I think the same is going to happen because digital photos do the same thing for us. They help us capture our memories, like that, but they're just doing it way better, way more efficiently. We will still have meat. We're just not going to have factory farming and slaughter yeah. plants. We will have meat, but it will not be coming from the cruel, inhumane, and unsustainable systems that we currently have today. You know, when I was reading your book, one of the really... You know, when I was reading your book, one of the really fascinating facts for me was that nearly like all budget or investment that is really, uh, how to say, were focused on tissue engineering uh, was basically directed to um, medications 
instead of, you know, uh, you know, working with the food industry and so on, which is really insane because basically what you're doing, you're trying to solve the consequences, but you're not kind of, you know, solving the, the main causes or <laughs> an issue with that. But we are facing this, uh, you know, the same problems with dog health and so on. So probably it's a universal law or something, but I do believe that these numbers, I hope will change and uh, we will have more, you know, scientific research and just innovation regarding the lab grown meat in the near future. I would love that. I would love that for sure. Um, regarding the lab-grown meat, you know, when um, when we first uh, with Mindogas thought about the concept that maybe uh, in the future we can make uh, there's a new a lab-grown you know meat company where the dogs can uh, eat lab-grown meat food, uh, we also thought about the the thing is that that this type of meat can be even cleaner. Uh, what we, for example, facing right now as a raw feeders, that we, if we go to the bazaar and buy some meat, you know, or find some type of the suppliers, you don't know the safety of the meat because there are like pathogens like salmonella, E. coli, and so on. And with lab-grown meat, we kind of can eliminate these kind of, you know, factors. What do you think are even more benefits or health-related, you know, benefits of, of uh, this type of meat? Yeah, you know, you're hitting the nail on the head because right now when you have raw meat, you are warned to treat it like toxic waste. Yeah. You know, you're supposed to keep it in a separate bag at the supermarket. Don't let it touch your other groceries. You bring it home with you. If it touches your counter, you have to disinfect your counter. Uh, if it touches your hands. Yeah, right. I mean, it's it's like you're ha handling like nuclear waste here. And, you know, and, and the reason the reason is exactly what you just said, that there's E. coli, there's salmonella, there's campylobacter on the meat. And so these are all intestinal pathogens that can sicken us if we don't cook the crap out of the meat. Literally, we're literally cooking the crap out of the meat. Yeah. But with clean, with clean meat, you don't have to worry so much about intestinal pathogens because there are no intestines. You know, they're, they're, you're more likely to infect the meat with your hands than it is to infect you. And so when it's grown in a sterile environment, you end up getting a much cleaner, food safer product than you would if you're going to meet from a slaughterhouse. In addition, though, to the food safety benefits, you could also have other health benefits too. So for example, right now, uh, burgers have a lot of saturated fat, which we know is correlated with high rates of heart disease. Well, what if you could make a burger that instead of having such high saturated fat actually had omega-3 fatty acids, which have been shown to reduce your risk of coronary heart disease? And so you could theoretically have a burger that instead of causing heart attacks actually prevents them. That is the type of world that I think that we're heading toward is where we not only mimic the types of meat that people eat today, but actually improve upon it and have a better experience for the eater. Yeah, and that's I think are really important factor because uh, well, it even gives you a more value, you know, of, of this type of, uh, of meat. And also probably there are uh, environmental factors as well of preparing this meat. Yeah, that's right. It's a much lower footprint. So we know that raising animals for food is the number one cause of deforestation, the number one cause of wildlife extinction, a leading cause of climate changing emissions. It is uh, just a terrible thing that we're doing to the planet by gro growing all of these crops to funnel through farm animals so that we can eat those farm animals. It would just be way more efficient, meaning less land, less water, fewer climate changing emissions, if we could just eat the crops directly or if we could just grow animal cells, because right now when we're feeding these animals, we're feeding them to do all types of things that really we don't want. 
growing eyeballs and skeletons and horns and hooves and intestines. Whereas we, we just want the meat. Like that's what humans want is the meat. And so if you just grow the meat, you can do it more efficiently than having to raise an entire animal. That's so true. For example, you know, I, I also read in the book a great example that we are kind of raising a huge amounts of chicken and we're most of the time using only the breast side and that's all. And all of the other things we're throwing, throwing away. I know for the dogs, of course, we use pretty much all of the chicken for sure. But you no, know, the humans and especially I believe in United States, the, you know, the one part, the breast part of, of the chicken is probably the, the, the most important one. And the rest, uh, I don't even know what's happened with that. You know, they're gonna, you know, be thrown away or something, even though that there are like thousands of gall gallons of water uh, that we you know we used to raise, you know, a chicken. So that's really insane. Um, of course, the one of the main <laughs> question for me was, do you think we can? Uh, you already ate the meat, yes. So what was the taste? I mean, if it's really well, when we say, you know, with Mindogas to a lot of friends and even co-workers about lab-grown meat, they're kind of concerned about the taste, you know, if it's really safe and so on. So you are the real example. So how, how was the taste? <laughs> uh, well, I'm, pr I'm proud to say that uh, I ate clean meat as early as 2014, and I've eaten it many times since. And it, to be honest with you, it tastes like meat because it is yeah. It's not like, you know, if you eat a plant-based burger and you're thinking, wow, they've really done a great job yeah, of yeah. making meat. Uh, no, this is meat. And that's why it tastes like meat. And so I've really enjoyed it. I've now eaten clean beef, duck, fish, um, uh, carnitas, foie gras. Uh, there's a whole variety of, of uh, animal products that I've consumed that are grown without animals. And so I've enjoyed it. And my fantasy is for the rest of humanity to be able to dine on these types of products so that we can leave the animals alone and let them be. And as, as you mentioned the example, you know, with the, with the digital cameras, do you think the price of the lab grown meat will, you know, go down probably in the near future? Well, because uh, the, the process of making it probably are going to be like most, more scalable. Uh, I hope so. Yeah, I certainly hope so. I mean, I'll tell you is that when the first burger was debuted less than 10 years ago, it had a price tag of about 300,000 US dollars. Yeah. Today, Insane. you know, and, and today they say that burger would probably cost about $11. And so, you know, you look at that and you think, well, it's gone down dramatically. Yeah. You have one company and you have one company in Israel now saying they can produce chicken breasts without chickens for only $1.70 US. And that's and, Right. And so, the, you know, I believe that the costs will continue coming down because they have continued to go down. Yeah. Now, that means, though, that inventions will have to be made. Uh, the current technology to do that just doesn't exist. We have to invent things that have not yet been invented. But lots of things get invented. And so humans tend to be very uh, innovative and we can uh, problem solve. So I'm optimistic that there will be a continued bending of that cost curve down. What do you think about adapting a lab grown meat to dog food? <laughs> yeah. I know you love your well, dog, so be honest, because I'm really interested into your answer. Yeah, so my dog Eddie is my best friend, and uh, I am always happier with him. Uh, but I'll tell you, I wish that I could feed him clean meat because he loves to eat meat, and I wish that he could enjoy. Um, I wish that he could enjoy that. So. Um, you know, uh, there are some humans who don't want to eat clean meat, obviously, um, they feel like it's, you know, it's like too novel for them. Yeah. But no, no dog is going to care. 
Yeah, no dog is going <laughs> but to that's care. True. So. That's true. That's <laughs> true. And yeah. what I I love, you know, from the in the manufacturing, you know, side of this, that for example, we can definitely use then, you know, meat without any antibiotics because we don't need them anymore. So the meat is even yeah. it's even healthier for the dog, because well, uh, now when the the meat is getting, you know, to be a luxury product in the whole world, so the same, you know, applies for the pet food as well. And we are, for example, making our food only purely from meat from raw meat. So um, for us, you know, using like purely healthier and cleaner meat for the dogs. Oh my God, it's it's my dream came true, basically, for sure. From your lips to the heavens, may it be so. <laughs> so I'm also interested not only into lab-grown meat, but also in your story with Eddie, because as you know, we are really passionate about the dogs. And I know that each dog mm-hmm. comes to our life and bringing, you know, the story and a lot of lessons uh, with him and unconditional love that helps us as well. So can you just shortly tell me the story, how Eddie came in your life? Yeah. So at the very beginning of the pandemic, the uh, local animal shelter where I live in Sacramento, California, put out a notice saying that they were about to shut down by order of the county and they had to foster over a hundred dogs within 24 hours. Mm -hmm. And so they needed a hundred foster homes immediately. And so my wife was uh, very moved by this plea. And so uh, she called me to tell me what happened. I said, sure, we can foster a dog. And she really wanted to do it too. So we mutually agreed to go do this at that time you couldn't go in the animal shelter. Like you drove up to the shelter and they put a dog in your car. Like there was no application. There was no selection. You didn't get to pick the dog. You just drove up and there, they gave her a uh, homeless pit bull who had been brought in as a stray uh, a few days earlier and had no name or anything. And they put him in the car and, um, it became very clear that he, when we brought him into our home, that he was not going anywhere. And it's funny because, you know, we have, we have fostered other dogs. We've fostered maybe half a dozen other pit bulls and we, we love, we love, we love to adopt them out. We're happy to foster, but typically we want to adopt them out. But Eddie, Eddie, who was named after my late grandfather was very, um, just so loving and such a, a nice personality that we were like, Oh, this dog is staying with us. So He's been with us now for two years and, uh, you know, I, I can assure you he's dramatically changed our lives for the better. Yeah, for sure. Because we had an Ellie as well. This is the Lola, the, the second Chihuahua mm. in our life. And I can She's definitely, very cute. Yeah, yeah. And I can definitely tell, you know, that dogs are changing our lives. And, uh, for us with Mindogas, they also help with the, you know, the, the our connection with the, like relationship with everything. They are just a really like a small and, but very important angels in our lives. And I really adore yeah. them. And, you know, I, when, uh, when I hear that, you know, people love dogs, I just, I know that they are the best, you know, people <laughs> just, I just trust them, trust them automatically. I just, no question. That's really funny. That's no so questions. funny. Well, yeah, I, I feel similarly. And when people like pit bulls, especially because they're such a maligned breed of dog, uh, I also have a much higher respect for them. When, you know, people, you know, you walk down the street with a pit bull, especially one like Eddie, you know, people walk away, you know, they, yeah. they move across, you know. And uh, when people walk up to him to pet him, which he loves, he always wants to have strangers come up to him. Um, then, you know, I always think, ah, 
my kind of person. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, there are a lot of stereotypes. In Lithuania, where we live, there are also a lot of stereotypes, you know, regarding the pit bulls. They are not very popular in Lithuania, but I believe mm-hmm. that in the United States, they are like pretty popular, like popular breeds. They- and uh, yeah. we kind of uh, we were fighting a lot uh, with uh, with a lot of you know people that in social media and so on that are judging you know people that are having the pit bulls and they're saying that they do not have the right like psychological stability and 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 so on. But basically, it all depends you know how you like communicate with the dog and mm-hmm. um, and that's you know the the connection between you and the dog is the most important factor and everything that yeah. Well, I, I would advise people if they want to see what pit bulls are like, go to Instagram and go to Eddie the Pity. That's E D D I E the Pity, and you can follow my dog's uh, exploits throughout his life. And I think you will find it enhances your welfare to watch what he does. And you will know everything about the pit bulls then. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> well, Paul, really, I'm really thankful for uh, for your time and for such a lovely conversation. I do believe that there's going to be a lot of people that are interested into this topic. There are going to be a lot of people that this topic might be intrigued or just different. So I can't wait to share the story uh, and the, the interview that we just talked. So thank you so much for your time. It's and best kisses and kisses for Eddie as well from Lola. That. That I can do. Thank you, Lola. And um, I appreciate everything you're doing for animals. And we'll look forward to talking later on. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye, Paul. Bye.